Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad, along with Joel Coleman of the Starkville Daily News, give you an inside look at the Bulldogs on the field, the court, and the diamond. Now, get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Coming to you on a Thursday morning. We could not be happier to be with you again. Thanks for making us part of your day, wherever you're getting podcasts at supertalk.fm or wherever that is. We thank all our listeners, especially our servicemen and women who take care of us across the globe. Also want to thank our sponsors, Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. So, as I drove past uh, Strange Brew tonight on, on the way to the studio from the hump, there was a bus there and it said, St. Joseph Catholic School. And I found out they were actually at McDonald's. But my first thought was, I should get out and pee on that bus. Because I don't like Jackson St. Joe. And I don't care where you put that school, Jackson St. Joe people. I will never refer to it as anything but Jackson St. Joe. And uh, it's like, I could just go relieve myself on their bus. And I, if I were not a grown man with responsibilities and children, I probably would have done it. 18-year-old Brian would have done that. Well, and I say that from experience... Because I have urinated, not simulated it either, on a, on two different high school buses of various rivals of the St. Aloysius Flashes. I don't know why I told that story. I just felt like it needed to be told. Well, in, in related news, I, I did not go to the hump tonight. No. Uh, because Did you I simulate to, urinating? Well, I did not. But I, what I did do was go to Ackerman and, and talk about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who <laughs> would, have frowned would upon probably my, not approve frowned upon uh, my activities. of you urinating upon what? A, a school bus full of teenagers. No, well, no, there was nobody in it. There's nobody in the bus. Well, still... Still, I'm, I'm just saying. But this this is shows growth, right? I've, I've grown through the years, both the both fact that physically and spiritually. The fact I have that grown. we're celebrating the fact that 44 year old Brian Haydad <laughs> didn't whiz on a high school bus, kept his pants zipped, and drove on by. Yeah, I if that's progress, I'll I mean we'll take baby steps. We'll take congratulations. Yeah, had they gone to Strange Brew, they could have had delicious uh, coffee, ice cream, baked goods, all sorts of good stuff over there. So I just, I just, my eye twitched when I saw that bus. I was like, are you kidding me, St. Joe? <laughs> Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you here. Why were they here? Who were they playing? Well, well it had to be somebody in Starkville. Wouldn't you know I, that? I mean, most high schools, I don't think, play on Wednesday nights. I mean, a lot, it had, it a lot had of to be high a, schools don't play on Wednesday nights. It had to be a, a sports team of some kind. Unless it was like a makeup game or something. Soccer? I mean, Saint, maybe. Star, would Starkville High School play St. Joe's? Starkville High School... I, I want to say just played a soccer game like a day or two ago. No, I know they did because no. one of our co- – so I, I I don't know. I don't know. No idea. Oh, well. I don't like St. Joe. I Maybe they came to the basketball game. That's possible. That's a possibility. I don't like St. Joe's. The overriding concern that I have here. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. So, but, I, but I have grown as a person. I, I left their bus unmolested. One of the fruits of the Spirit, Brian, is love. And I think you could use a little more of it. If you knew about those people, my God. Uh, what else we got here? We got a, a college corner. Speaking of Jackson, 
Over in Ridgeland, they're by Fleet Feet and Flowwood, they're by the Half Shell. There you have the biggest and best selection of MSU merchandise you can find. And you can always shop online at collegecornerstore.com. If you're not in that area, you can always uh, you can ship. They'll ship anywhere in the world to help you out. And of course, with opening day just a few weeks away now, it's only it's time to get that new M over S look. Get something cool. Bring it to Diddy Noble. Come watch the Diamond Dogs. Or come watch Mississippi State basketball, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. And the, the suddenly resurgent Ben Howland squad. Uh, but wherever you do, get your stuff at College Corner. Uh, let's start with basketball, and then we'll, we'll get into this higher. And then we've got some baseball talk. Big show today. A lot of, a lot of good stuff today. It's the big um, show. The big bad show tonight. I, I, I have a problem with the big show. Real quick. Like, he turned his finishing move into a punch. But he had punched guys for years, and they didn't just die. Like, they didn't just fall down. So, you know. But he didn't, like, do the... Oh, you did the... <laughs> that's the what little, it is, the, the little... The pumping little, his fist thing okay. before he did it? Yeah. That's the difference. That's the difference, okay. no doubt. I can buy into that. Um, three wins in a row now for Mississippi State. Uh, they take down Arkansas 77-70. to 70. This is a game where if you, you just sort of look at the stats, you probably wouldn't have thought State won, depending on what stats you looked at. Arkansas shoots 47% from the floor, or 48%. State shoots 39%. Arkansas outscores MSU in the paint. Now, think about this. State is one of the biggest front lines in the country. Arkansas is a team with very little height. They basically they play off. If you look at their starting lineup and the way they, they throw it up there, it's a four-guard, one-forward starting lineup. They don't have a lot of, of length. But they outscored MSU in the paint 46-24. Um... State only turned the ball over nine times. Arkansas only turned it over seven times. Pretty clean game. But State was 27 of 31 at the free throw line, and Arkansas was 6 of 11. They didn't make a free throw until two and a half minutes to go in the game. And that's what the difference was. Arkansas couldn't – then that's where that length paid off. Arkansas could not handle State without fouling them, specifically Reggie Perry, who had an incredible night from the free throw line. He was 14 of 15 from the stripe. 26 points, 13 rebounds, a couple of blocks, three assists. Uh, State plus 10 on the in the rebounding, plus four on the offensive boards. But they won the game at the free throw line. And we have seen State lose games at the free throw line over the past few years. This was a very interesting performance from that from that perspective. They got to the line and they took advantage of it. Nick Weatherspoon, six of seven. DJ Stewart, five of six. Tyson Carter, two for two. Nobody else shot a free throw. State only played seven guys in this game. They played their five starters, Tyson Carter and Iverson Molinar, and everybody made some sort of positive contribution. Adu had the fewest points, but he had five rebounds. Uh, Woodard had got into foul trouble in the first half, so he didn't play as much as you would like, but he did have six points and seven rebounds. Molinar had eight points in 12 minutes. Pretty good. Uh, Tyson Carter in double figures, 10 points, four rebounds, a couple of assists. No turnovers for him. No turnovers for Nick Weatherspoon on a night where he had 11 points and six assists. What was Tyson? He was one. He was like one of seven shooting at one point when I looked at the stats. He, he didn't I have a great shooting him. night. Three of 12. Okay. But a lot of those, he was, he's only two of six from back behind the arc, so that means he was one of six inside. Yeah. He missed some shots at the rim. State had some, some opportunities. They missed four or five layups tonight. This game could have been a little bit worse, but at the same time, it could have been a lot a, a little bit worse the, the wrong way. What was because, the rebounding margin? Plus was, 10. 41-31. Yeah. But State was able to defend without fouling, and Arkansas was not. Arkansas There was one play or one series in particular in the second half where State got the ball to Reggie Perry three times, and Arkansas went from four to seven 
on the fouls. They yeah. fouled him three times in a row. Yeah. And he ended up going to the line and making one of one. And that was the difference. They they could not handle Reggie Perry down low. And so they had to foul him and state converted nearly every time they went to the line. Reggie Perry is on a path to be the SEC player of the year. That is correct. Uh, first time in over 20 seasons that State's had a player with three straight 2010 games. Um, I mean, he's averaging well over a double-double now. This is three straight, not just good performances, but dominating performances from him. Um, I mean, if he puts up similar numbers to that again, he's going to win Player of the Week again mm-hmm. this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, no if, if he does that against Oklahoma on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and, and as a whole, again, I, I hate to try and sit here and pretend like I'm Mr. Analyst for a game that I saw – I didn't see any of it. I listened to the last half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hate to dig too deeply into it, but hitting the free throws like they did, State is proving to be a team now that can beat you in any of the ways. Multiple I mean, ways. They, yeah. they, they can beat you at the line. They can get to the line and make the shots. If Tyson Carter's on, uh, they can beat you from the perimeter. If he's not, I mean, with Reggie Perry down low and Woodard can get to the basket. I mean, a lot of guys can get to the basket. They can beat you that way. Mm-hmm. Um, they can just out-defend you and just win a an ugly defensive slugfest, I guess, for lack of a better word. There is no limit. There's no kind of game this team can't win right now. Yeah. And that's what's exciting if you're a Mississippi State fan, is that nobody that this team plays – is going to have something that you look at and think, well, State can't win this because they're not good at X. Mm-hmm. Well, they're pretty good at all components of the game right now. Yeah. Like you said, they're not turning the ball over as much as they were earlier. Um, the they path, figured it out. They figured it out. Yeah, they, they've gelled. They've, they've, for whatever reason, right after Nick Weatherspoon got back into the, into the mix, I don't know if it seems weird to say that the team kind of lost its chemistry because it's a guy they've been practicing with. I mean, it's a guy that's been around for a couple years. It's not like they just threw some random guy from outer space into the starting lineup. I mean, but for whatever reason, it took them a little bit to kind of figure it out. They, they, he, hadn't they played a, he hadn't played a game in over a calendar year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there is something to just developing that chemistry again in game, you know, as opposed to over in the, the, the practice facility or, or in an empty hump, you know shoot around or something i mean you just it isn't the same and now here you are you got a team that's becoming a well-oiled machine now i will confess to not watching every single game in the sec right now but i'm pretty darn sure that nobody the last couple weeks has played better basketball in mississippi state no i agree i agree they're playing at a really high level right now and they've turned things around but they have to keep winning. Right now, they're on the pace to get back into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. If you look at Ken Palm, which I don't look at Ken Palm a ton, but our friend Garrick uh, McGee does. Hodge. Did I do it again? Yes. <sighs> I'm so sorry. I keep getting that mixed. It's, it, it, will, it will not <laughs> click in my head what that boy's name is. Garrick Hodge, who's the uh, sports editor for the uh, Commercial Dispatch. It just won't click. Uh, he's a big Ken Palm guy. He Ken Palm currently has state at 20 and 11 is how they're projecting it. Um Ten and eight in the conference. They have them losing the game Saturday. They have Oklahoma assault as a one point favorite. That is a potential quadrant one win. I think I put it wrong in the uh, my article that I wrote, but we we talked about it afterwards and we we figured that out. Quadrant one win. Okay. Well, they, they, Neil and company said on the radio it was it was two quadrant two. But who Neil Price? Yes. 
uh, because it's on the road, it, it moves up to quadrant one. Is what I'm. I'm oh, so you're talking about this coming Saturday? Yeah. Oh, I, I apologize. I was thinking. I was thinking Arkansas. Yeah, okay. that that was a quadrant two win and a yes. good win. Saturday's game can be a quadrant one win, which state does not have one up. They have four opportunities left to get one. I think Saturday's probably the best one because at Arkansas is just a hornet's nest. It always has been, and then you're at Florida and at Kentucky. You don't have a quadrant one win chance at home. Uh, so this is a good opportunity. Oklahoma is twelve and six on the year. From a record standpoint, they're not a lot different than Mississippi State. Um, if you can get that win, you, you're going to set yourself up. You you go above their projections. Then you're talking about being 21 and 10 and 10 and 8 in the conference. I, that to me, without knowing anything else about how the rest of the 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 the, the leagues the leagues and the, the brackets are going to plant pan out, 21 and 10, 10 and 8 strikes me as a team that gets in. Me too. Me too. Because quite frankly, coming into the year, that's not right though. They have three non-conference losses. If they were ten and eight, they would be twenty-one and a, twenty. And a, I guess I'm. Am I doing this right? I don't think I'm right. I still think if they finish this year ten and eight in the league, ten and eight in the league plus beating Oklahoma, yeah, they would be. I in. think you're in. I think you'd be in. I mean, if you told me entering this season that State was going to finish like nine and nine in the league mm-hmm. before all the chaos in the SEC ensued, right. I would have said probably five hundred gets you. Probably in. still gets you in, and especially you wouldn't have thought they're going to lose to Louisiana Tech and to yeah. To uh, New Mexico State. New Mexico State, by the way, is turning themselves into it. They're fourteen and six, and they lead yeah. the whack. They're they're a good team. It's just unfortunate I mean, State lost to them. I think ten and eight in the league might get you in anyway. Ten and ten and eight in the league plus beating Oklahoma. You're in. I feel like I think you, you've in. punched your ticket at that point. I feel like you're in. So the the key for State is they have to win the games they're supposed to win the rest of the way, and then they need to find one that they're not supposed to win. I think if they do that, they're going to be fine. But they have four quadrant four games left now. Three of them are at home. Ole Miss. Uh, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and then they go to Texas A&M. They have to go 4-0 in those games. You cannot lose one of those games. And then you have some Quadrant 2 games. Ole Miss is one of those as well. Ole Miss is you know sub-100 team in the net. You can't lose. It's so weird because think about the, you think about the MSU-Ole Miss rivalry and, and, and you, know, you feel like those games can go any direction. But you can't lose one of those games. State cannot lose to Ole Miss this year if they want to go to the NCAA tournament. I feel that. Even, even the game on the road. Unless you beat a Kentucky, or yeah, you, you, do you could like swap that. that out for one of your quadrant one opportunities. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They, they need to win those games. Yeah, so, and yeah. Of course, I think if you finish like nine and nine, and you, you you split with Ole Miss or something, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in yeah. trouble. The conference being down has some positives for state, and it has some negatives for state. It has some positives that they can win maybe some games they weren't expecting because Kentucky and Florida certainly aren't unbeatable. State plays Florida next week. In the midweek, that's a winnable game. Yeah, well, they're not unbeatable, and all of a sudden, Mississippi State really looks like right now the best team in the league. I'm not saying they are oh, the best team no, in. The, no, no, no. I'm not saying they are the best team in the league. I'm saying that the last three games, how can you not look at what they have done? They're playing well and, yeah. and say that they. Well, I mean, we already said it that they're playing better than anyone right now over the course of the last three games. They just are three and oh, two just dominant victories, and then to play a fourteen and three Arkansas team, and I mean, seemed like it was pretty much in. I don't want to say that it was never in doubt, but they were ahead by, you know. They they led the entire second half. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't get much more impressive than what State's done the last three 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 outings. So, I'm not saying they're the best team in the league, but right now they're playing like it. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Next up, Saturday, Oklahoma. That game, even though it is at the uh, Chesapeake Arena, which is the home of the Thunder, that is going to count as a true road game for Mississippi State. So if they get that, they get a quadrant one road win. 
That's a big, big game for Mississippi State. They need to shake off those road woes that were plaguing them, you know, starting off the first three games or the first two of those first three games uh, of the conference season. They need they need this win. This if you get this win, I'm willing to go on and say I think they're going to go to the tournament. They get this if they lose, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a dogfight, week in and week out. No pun intended. To, to get into the tournament. I'll tell you what, I'll say this for Ben Howland, man. It seems like every one of his teams get better as the year goes. Yeah. It has seemed like that the last three years now. Um, and last year was so weird because they lost Nick. Lost Nick, but they, they got they, better. They, they rallied around reason. it, yeah. Um, now, yeah. last year, I will say last year, the back half of their SEC schedule was a lot easier. Like, after the first half of the schedule, they played LSU, they played Kentucky, they played uh, Ole Miss twice. You know that when Ole Miss was good, and then the back half they were playing Georgia and Arkansas and Vanderbilt and all that. So that that played into it, but they did play better at the same time. So we'll see. All right, uh, let's move over to football. Uh, it's a done deal. Uh, Mississippi State has a new defensive coordinator, and uh, his name is Zach Arnett. I know a lot of you are probably wondering who that was. At least you were earlier on Twitter. Uh, probably know who he is now. Coming to Mississippi State. Uh, via Syracuse. Yeah, they're not too happy, by the way. For for an eleven day stay in uh, Syracuse, I hear Syracuse is a lovely town. Yeah. Our good friend Mike Bonner attended school there. Did Did you see Syracuse's ads? You got the quote right there. Yeah, read it. We are disappointed that Zach Arnett has decided not to honor the commitment he made to Syracuse University. We will continue to work diligently to find the best defensive coach for our program. Didn't honor the commitment that he made. It happens. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, college football is all about breaking commitments. It seems so, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge anybody on that. Yeah, a, a, man, a man has a right to you know better his situation, and if it, it just because it's inconvenient for some, it doesn't you know you take care of your family. I think I read some of their reporting at Syracuse or whatever that he hadn't like signed his deal. And that's yet that's on something. Syracuse. Yeah, when you get the guy in, you got to lock him up. Yeah, <laughs> you know you got no one to blame but yourself in that situation. If you couldn't get a contract done in 11 days after, I mean, you announced him. Yeah. From what I can tell with Mississippi State, they, they don't announce things until contracts are done. I don't think so. Like, yeah. it, 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 because as soon as we had Arnett was announced, we had his salary information right after that, which is $900,000 a year plus another hundred fifty non-bowl incentives. So my guess is with bowl incentives, he could be looking at $1.1, $1.2 million. Yeah, and that's that. and that's just the uh, the salary. That's not the Bulldog Club supplements, correct? No, that is the Bulldog that's, Club Okay, that's everything. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, that's still a sizable raise from Bob Shoup, correct? Well, I, I think that Shoop would make like around six hundred thousand from like the school, but we don't know what he made with the Bulldog Club included. Right? I, I say we don't. I might, I'd have to go back and look. Okay. Um, but uh, I do think that Shoop's school portion of it was like six hundred six hundred k, and then there was more, you mm-hmm. know, from private funds. Okay. So so it could have been around the same. I I'd have to go back and look at all that stuff. Okay. I can't remember. Arnett comes to MSU basically from San Diego State, where he ranked. He had the number seven ranked defense in the country a season ago. Number twenty three the year before that. His two years as defensive coordinator. Prior to that, he had been the linebackers coach for the Aztecs and working under Rocky Long, who was one of the nation's most respected uh, defensive coordinators. Bringing the three three five, which you know MSU has been known to run in the past with great success <laughs> and with great uh, problems from time to time, but a very Almost hyper-aggressive defensive coordinator, which is so interesting to me. Now State looks like they are going to take the fight to everybody. They're going to be aggressive on offense, and they are going to be aggressive on defense. They're going to pass, 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 and spread the field and attack. And then when you get give them, when they 
punt it away or when you kick off, they're going to be blitzing from every angle. Doesn't it kind of feel like this is either going to be the greatest thing ever or just an unmitigated train wreck, one or the other? Like not well, much middle this. ground because it's so like they're going to be a headache for teams to prepare for now on both sides of the ball. You like have that. And the other thing that gets me is this. And I've always said this, that when you don't have talent, you might as well go down swinging, right? Yeah. And State will be able – State's going to have talent advantages over a lot of teams they play. But when you play LSU and Alabama and, and to a lesser extent, Auburn and, you know, if you play the top teams in the East, Georgia, Florida, you cannot sit back and let those teams dictate to you. You have to punch – because if, if you do that, you're going to lose. Yeah. How many times did it seem like Dan Mullen played not to lose? Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's like it's – if you're going to lose anyway – you might as well make it interesting, right? You might as well make them regret coming to play you. Yeah. So you know you you you, you take chances. You 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 know I thought and to go back to the LSU game this year, I thought that Moorhead came out very aggressive. You know, went for it early. I thought defensively they put a lot of pressure on Burrow early in the game, and then you know the 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 talent level eventually separated itself. But that's how you have to stay in the game when you're not talented. You can't just you can't play read and react on defense, and you can't just you know play conservative on offense. Well, State's not going to do that against anybody now. They're going to throw the ball 50 to 60 times a game, and then when they give up the ball, they're going to blitz from all angles. Um, saw a lot of questions about personnel with this this defense. Is that a concern for you? A little bit. Because uh, we were talking about State's defense in the secondary. That might be where they're a little weak. Yeah. You now you're putting you know, five DBs on the field. Yeah. Um, who's the other linebacker beside, beside Errol? I mean, you know, you got two more. <laughs> Tyrus Wheat's going to be one. Yeah. And then the, the name that I saw pop up on Twitter on message was a lot, Demonte Russell. You know, yeah. an undersized, he or King Ani, both sort of undersized defensive ends. Can they play as, as rush and, and I want to say, didn't didn't Shoop uh, say back, like, last before last season that Demonte Russell wearing number nine reminded him of, of Sweat? Of Montez Sweat, yeah. yeah. Who would be a great, great fit. The guy where you're missing is Willie Gay. Willie Gay would be a monster. In this kind of defense, but there's just nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, he did sign with an agent. Yes, I know. Yes, I know it's yes. been a running joke on some message boards. Um, but yeah, I mean, three linemen. What? Kobe Jones, Nathan Pickering. I would think Fabian Lovett is the nose tackle. Yeah. And then your two defensive tackles, probably Crumity and Kobe Jones to start. Um, and then you know, Errol Errol anchoring the middle will be fine. He'll be great there. And then I guess Wheat and then you Brulee. Know, probably Brulee to start. Brulee and then Nathan Watson. Or Nathaniel Watson, I'm sorry. And then in the secondary. Emerson. Emerson and Jones. Marcus Murphy. Marcus Murphy's probably your free safety at yeah. this point. And then Tyler Williams should. I like the idea of, of putting corners out there. Because that way you get guys who can cover and man. And then so... You know, who's who's the other? Who's the fourth guy? You know, I mean, if, if it's going to be a guy, you're, you're you're thinking, okay, he's more of the blitzer and more of a guy trying to set the edge kind of guy. Maybe C.J. Morgan would be better fit fit it there. You know, obviously he had a, a bad knee injury in the middle of the year, so how quickly can you get him back? Uh, Fred Peters would be a guy you would look at there. Um, so we'll see. Um, and of course, you know, the recruiting process isn't over. You still got guys. And not knowing what this guy wants now, maybe you try to attract a, a JUCO or a grad transfer defensive back now. You know, I was sitting here talking about it. I don't think I'm as worried about person. You know, personnel kind of sounds like it'd be okay. <laughs> you know, at least the, the, I don't know about depth. You know, in the secondary, mm-hmm. but from it, a personnel yeah. standpoint, it sounds 
like it's doable here, you know? Guys like who haven't contributed yet much, like Asias Furge, Jalen Reed, maybe a Colin Duncan. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to find some some yeah. some, some reps for those guys. Uh, Landon Gidry would be another one. Um but yeah, I mean it's at least having this guy on now, you can start fitting things in. And I'm telling you, and if you read 24-7, this is what they're saying, and it, it looks like it's going to be true. State's going to go from three to four to maybe eight or nine guys they're going to sign here in February, and they're just going to go ahead and plan for attrition. They're going to plan for guys to leave after the spring, guys who just don't fit the program anymore, guys who don't have a position anymore. Those guys are going to have to move on, or they're going to have to you know, completely change what they are. Yeah. Somebody like Dante Jones is going to have to lose 30 pounds and become a wide receiver again. Mm-hmm. And is he capable of doing that? I don't know. But that's going to have to happen, so they're just going to plan for attrition. Um, that also leaves a uh, a spot open because uh, Arnett's also going to coach the linebackers. So you have a spot open. You know, Once again, we've talked about this before, Mike Leach coaching the – He's coaching the quarterbacks, and he's the offensive coordinator. So you've got an extra spot here. You've got you know what five offensive coaches? Is that right? I guess you have four, right? I uh, see two. You two got receivers and, and Spurrier. Right. Yeah. You got it's it's Mealy. I think you got all right. Well, you got Mealy, and then you have Mason, Mason Miller. Miller. All right. Then you have your special teams coach Matt Brock. Yeah. And then you've got Jeff Phelps on the defensive line. You've got Arnett as the linebackers. Uh, McBath as the cornerbacks coach, yeah. Hughes for the safeties. That's nine. You're allowed ten. There's going to be one more guy. Yeah. It looks like that's going to be another linebackers coach. Um, two names to watch, and let me find this, uh, this one guy because I can't. I don't. I want to make sure I pronounce it it's correct. Rock Bellatoni. Rock Bellatoni. He was the outside linebackers coach, I believe, at Washington State. Uh, he has not, to my knowledge, made any type of uh, Twitter changes to his profile that would make us think he's headed to Starkville. But that's the one name to watch. The other one is a familiar name. We've talked we talked about him a few weeks ago when Chris Marv uh, took the job at Florida State, and that is Jamar Cheney, who is uh, currently in a uh, an analyst or an off the field position down at the University of Florida. Obviously, a former Bulldog and All SEC player for for Sylvester Croom and Dan Mullen, uh, and a guy who you know is looking to make that leap back to the field as a coach. Um, and maybe, I don't know here, but your, your D coordinator here is a little bit of a linebacker's coach. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a perfect growing opportunity yeah. for like a Jamar Chaney. Yeah. You got another linebacker's coach to kind of grow and learn under on the kind of. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But I would think that if they ended up going the Chaney route, that's a plus for him to come in and have another linebacker's coach on staff to kind of bounce things off of whatever. Right, right. That's just kind of would make sense. But I don't even I don't know if he's the favorite. I don't know yeah, anything. Don't, no, but. Again, these are just names that we've heard. Um, I would imagine, though, they want to start wrapping that up. Because you're, now you're, you only got one guy left. It's just an assistant coach. You know, you, you make a decision. Do I want to go with the guy I know, or do we want to bring this guy back and try to build something with him? And you want to maybe have that decision made. I mean, it's, today it's Thursday. I don't know that you can do it this week, but maybe by Monday or Tuesday next week you're done. And then you can move forward as a staff and everything starts coming together and you can start planning for what you're going to do in the spring and things like that. So, But Zach Arnett, the new coach, or the new defensive coordinator, like we mentioned, $900,000 a year salary, um, which like we said, is should be a, a – we're pretty sure that's a raise up over what Shoot made. So, is his, that, his stats, man, are good. Like, I don't know if you Arnett's? Yeah. They're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like the, the the stat I liked was an advanced stat called stop rate. It was just number of drives that that you end without points. And he they were third in the nation at San Diego State behind they were like two percentage points behind Ohio State who was number one. Yeah. Uh, they only get the most points they gave up in a game last year was twenty three. Now I don't care who you're playing. Yeah. That's good defense. Yeah. You know? And you have to think relative to like the conference. I mean your your talent level would you say that by and large, regardless, of, what conference is San Diego State in? They are that, in the WAC. Okay, so would you say that? I believe. Let me double check that. Other than that, or the I, I understand that there's the, more talent in the SEC than there is in the WAC, mm-hmm. but relatively speaking, between the teams in each conference, they're in the Mountain say, West. I'm sorry, but okay, yes, go ahead. But relatively speaking, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's more talent in the SEC than there is in the Mountain West, right? But relatively speaking, the talent between the teams in each conference are like, you know, San Diego State and. The other teams in the conference is probably, you know, I don't, I, I'm not saying what I'm wanting to say very clearly. I get what you're. I, 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 let me let me help. The, the, the talent is relative. Yeah. To, this is what I asked Joe Moorhead about that during the season. I said, you know, I understand that you know talent is relative, but what you're trying to say is that somebody in the Mountain West is the Alabama of the Mountain West. Yes, it's, that, Bo- it's Boise State. Somebody is the Alabama of the conference. Yes. Somebody is the LSU out there. You're playing against those teams, so relative to your talent, relative to their talent, you're holding them under 23 points. Yes. Mississippi State's talent, relative to everybody else's talent, is not doing that. Thank you for saying that a lot clearer than right. I did. And I asked Moorhead about that, and he, of course, I was like, you know, I understand that it's different in the Patriot League versus the SEC, but you turn it around so quickly in the Patriot League, you haven't turned it around quickly here, why not? And of course, what did he say? Well, the teams, you, I mean, that's not the question. Somebody in the Patriot League was Alabama, and you became Alabama. You haven't done that here. Why not? That's what I was trying to ask him, and you know he gave me the coach speak answer. I get what you're saying, though. Yes, somebody out there. I mean, and I mean, I don't know what their their record was against Boise State, but I do know that they just didn't give up a ton of points to anybody, and they played some Power Five teams as well. I know they played UCLA, who was not great last year, but they held them to. Uh, I got the numbers up right here. They held UCLA to two touchdowns, 14 points. Uh, they didn't play Boise last year. They played Hawaii, who is a great offensive team, whose new coach, whose head coach is now the coach of Washington State. State. They held them to 14 points. They only they lost, but they lost 14 to 11. Uh, they played Colorado State, who was a decent offensive team. They held them to 10 points. Um, they played Boise the year before that. They did, and they held them to 13 points. So yeah, this this guy has has sort of the same thing as Mike Leach. He has outperformed to his talent. And if you talk about, okay, they can do that, and now we're going to give them more talent, that is a winning proposition for Mississippi State. So this is a, on paper, this is a very good hire. We'll see what happens with the result. But I, right now, you should feel good about the defensive coordinator Mississippi State has hired. And once again, John Cohen has picked a guy that nobody was talking about until it was done. Basically, Zach Hardett's name popped up a half hour before he got hired. Yeah, well, I don't know that John Cohen picked this guy. You know what I mean, though. <laughs> I do know. What I mean, you mean. I'm, I'm giving Cohen some of the credit. <laughs> yeah, here, though. yeah. You know, the the way the athletic department has run these coaching searches has been good. It may be taking a little longer than people want, but they are getting good candidates. So, simple. I mean, from a look from from a numbers perspective, I mean, this this he he's. I'm not saying he's a better D coordinator than Brian Newberry, who everybody thought was going to be the defensive coordinator there for a couple days. But from a numbers perspective. Seems like he might be. <laughs> so state may have ended up. I mean, he, he's younger. 
You know, I think he's only yeah. like 33. Yeah, I think that's right. Graduated college uh, in 09. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It is enough to really be excited about, man. I agree. When you When you add that in with Leach, can you – just think of how much everybody was not looking forward to next football season under Joe Moorhead. Right. And now, changed, combined with man. Leach and, and, and this new three three five defense that State's fixing to run, I think everybody's ready for September, which is saying something because everybody's ready for baseball too. But Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, so that's a good Watch segue it. there because it's, it's time to talk a little baseball here. Uh, here on the College Corner hotline, again, don't forget to go to College Corner or collegecornerstore.com and check out their MSU merchandise selection. We're going to talk a little baseball with D1Baseball.com's Aaron Fit, kind enough to join us now. Aaron, man, thanks so much for joining us. It really does feel like just a couple weeks ago we were all in Omaha together watching the College World Series, and now here we are about you know two weeks away from uh, the start of a, of a brand new season. Just for you in this offseason, has it gone by too fast, too slow, or are you one of those guys who just, like my, my co-host over there, who cannot wait for, for first pitch? You know, it always sneaks up on me every year. I feel like uh, we spend all fall uh, watching as much baseball as we can, and, and you kind of get into that, that rhythm of fall ball where it's just not quite as, as intense. You know, you're going around and you're visiting with people, and it's all chummy, and you get to the convention in the first weekend of January, and that's kind of like it's kind of like go time. You know, just like that, the, 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 the flip kind of the switch kind of flips on you, and, and uh, it, it knows to the grindstone. And I'm ready, man. I'm I'm fired up. I'm ready for some baseball now. Well, you know, I have everything I've seen about Mississippi State this year. We didn't want to have Kendall on, by the way, just because we weren't sure he was ready to give a commitment about hosting yet. Well, I don't want to talk to Kendall <laughs> until that is good to go. But obviously, MSU, you know, everything I've seen from them looks like they're going to be a consensus top uh, 10 team. Looks like a team that, you know, if the, the chips fall in the right direction, can make another run to Omaha. You guys at D1 have them at number 10. We'll just start with what you like about this Mississippi State baseball team. Well, there's a lot to like it, and I'll be honest with you, you know, you can line up those SEC West teams in almost any order you want, and, and we debated these teams a lot. Um, in fact, I think heading into our deliberations, I had Mississippi State a little higher. I, I think I had them maybe sixth on my board. Um, Kendall had them a little bit lower because he had maybe more questions about the pitching, but I really believe that the pitching is going to be pretty good. I mean, it, it's, it's certainly deep, it's just a matter of how some of those young guys mature, but you got to like starting with, you know, JT Ginn at the top, and uh, I feel very optimistic about Christian McLeod uh, as that number two guy, a lefty that I think has real swing and miss stuff and is ready to perform now and assuming he can stay healthy. Um, so, you know, those two pieces, and of course Eric Sarantola is kind of that wild card. Can he can he put it all together and harness that, that huge arm that he's got and you look at a lot of freshmen, you know, that, that do have to perform on the mound with Landon Sims and, um, you know, Casey Hunt and, you know, Davis Rokosi, all these guys that I'm really high on. Um, but they're, they're not quite proven commodities yet in the SEC, and so that would be the one reservation. But, boy, this team is going to be outstanding in the lineup. I just think there aren't many teams in the country, there may not be a team in the country that has a top four in the order uh, that I think is better. Uh, than, than Rowdy Jordan and Justin Foscue and Jordan Westberg uh, and Tanner Allen. I just think that's yeah, really, really good right there, and, and the pieces around him are strong. I think Josh Hatcher is going to have a big year, which he, certainly they're, they're counting on him to do to kind of provide uh, some, some more power in there. Uh, I think Brandon Pimentel, the, the JUCO transfer, can, can do the same. I mean, that's a guy that, again, he's a big, strong boy. He's got some real, real juice in there and, and showed the ability to drive it the other way, too, in the fall. So, 
Um, that's two more good run producers, and you got some more X-Factor guys like a Brad Cumbis. What can he bring? Um, you know, Landon Jordan, that sophomore class. I just think there's a lot of length in the lineup in addition to that star power, and I think there's a lot of athleticism that, that should you know, lend itself to this being a very good defensive team. Aaron, when I look at this team, I I can't help but look to that bullpen, and there's just not a, I guess, proven commodity uh, down there yet. It is, I know you hit on a little bit with the pitching staff, but to you, is that the glaring hole on this team, is you just don't 100% know what you're getting out of that bullpen? Yeah, exactly. You know, they're, they're going to be relying on a lot of newcomers there, and obviously there's talent, you know, Landon Sims in particular, I think, could be a really good closer, but you never feel great going into a season with a with a freshman closer. But you know, I mean, he's he'll show you ninety six miles an hour with a uh, a real slider that could be an out pitch, and then you know, the change ups they might not use that much in a bullpen role, but it's there. Um, so certainly the stuff is there for him, and, and I think you know, I talk about Casey Hunt. Um, guy's got huge upside. You know, it's just really really athletic and projectable, and um, you know, I'm curious to see what he can do in a bullpen role. Uh, but these are guys that do have to establish themselves. You know, well, I'm curious what, what we're going to see out of Kevin James. Will he be a, a bullpen piece for him, or will they use him more as a position guy to start with? Um, I, I think that some of the JUCO pieces they brought in could help provide some experience in that bullpen. But again, they're not guys that have done it in the SEC yet. There's a little bit of a difference there. But I did like what I saw in the fall from, from Jared Shemper and Houston Harding, which I think give you two nice matchup options on the left side that each have a real swing and miss pitch. Um, and, you know, Jackson Forrester is another piece that uh, uh, I think could help provide some depth in that bullpen. So, so yes, that is the biggest uncertainty about this team is, is the bullpen. But um, the pieces are there for it to be pretty good. It's just you feel a little better if it was more experienced. I know you guys have talked to, to Chris Lamonis, as I have as well, and, and I was talking to Brian about this yesterday, I believe it was, but but Christian uh, Christian McLeod on, on Saturdays, he hadn't thrown a pitch yet at the collegiate level. But when you talk to Chris Lamonis, when you talk to the players on that team, for whatever reason, there is just a ton of confidence in, in Christian McLeod that, that he's going to be just fine in that probably Saturday role. Why is there so <laughs> – this isn't a knock on Christian McLeod, a, a talented guy and things, but why do you think – why do you feel that there's so much confidence in a guy, you know, being, being a – a consistent contributor on SEC weekends, a guy that hadn't thrown a pitch yet at, at this level, but there, there just seems to be an unmistakable confidence that he's going to lock down that spot. Yeah, I think it starts certainly with the talent, you know, and he's a, he's a physical guy that's built like a workhorse, arm works well. Um, I think it was kind of 89, 92, touch of 93, but plenty of velocity from the left side. Uh, breaking ball, I think, could be a real weapon. You know, it's uh, it'll flash plus. Um, you know, with some real depth and bite to it, and, and he's got some feel for changeup too. It's, it's kind of firm, but it's 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 in there, and I think it gives you three pitches. So that, that's kind of a good place to start. You're looking yeah. at a weekend start in the SEC, but also I think he's got some presence about him. You know, and and I think what they saw from him in the fall really inspired confidence. Now, fall ball is not spring ball in the SEC, uh, but it's a good place to start. So. Yeah, I mean, I get the same vibe that you do, that they feel really good, really secure about that spot. But we do still need to see it. There's no question about it. Um, you know, he still needs to go out there and, and prove something. 
When you think about the situation that Chris Lamonis walked into last year, he walked into a team that was sort of ready-made to get at least make a, a good run into the postseason. Now, he did a fantastic job. He made a lot of moves during the season that worked out, and he got that team back into Omaha. Year two, and, and looking forward with Chris Lamonis, do you like what you're seeing from him in terms of how he's going to build up this Mississippi State program and get them that one thing this program lacks, the national championship? Yeah, I really do. I think it was uh, just a really fantastic hire. I think he's got the right uh, temperament for that job, which is something that's really important in the SEC. You know, we've seen times before um, talented coaches, uh, and Chad Holbrook comes to mind. You know, I think Chad Holbrook is a really talented coach and certainly proved his recruiting chops for many years at North Carolina and South Carolina, but I don't think he had the right temperament for that South Carolina job. You know, you've got to be able to really – um, let let the, the criticism roll off your back, and, and, and I think Lamonis does that well, and he's just a very even-keeled guy that I think uh, sets, a, sets a good tone for this program, but also he surrounded himself with, with a really strong coaching staff. You know, I mean, um, certainly Jake Gotro, I think everyone regards him as a rising star and a guy that can really recruit and has a good feel for working with the hitters, and uh, I really like Scott Foxhall. He's been doing it for a long time, and NC State and, you know, Auburn and College of Charleston, he's had success everywhere he's gone. And I think he gives you a lot of consistency there with the pitching staff as well. So um, I think it's a great staff. And, you know, when you, you factor in that palace of a ballpark they play in and um, maybe the best fan base in the country, there's a lot of reason that players want to go to Mississippi State. And I, I don't see any reason that this program – will slow down anytime soon. I think we're just really seeing the tip of the iceberg here. I mean, the national championship is coming. It's only a matter of time. And I think we'll see it sooner rather than later. You mentioned Gotro there. Uh, I mean, he's kind of been the, I guess, consistent face through the through the Andy Canizzaro, through the Gary Henderson now to, to Chris Lamonis. I mean, he's kind of been the, I, I guess, the, the familiar face and things. We, we hear praise heaped upon him all the time. And and he's such a key to the success states had the last three years or so. Is it is it just a matter of time before he gets a head job somewhere? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, there's no doubt. Um, I think right now he's in a really good spot. You know, if you're uh, uh, an assistant coach at an SEC power like Mississippi State, there's no urgency to, to move on. But there's no question somebody's going to scoop him up in the next couple of years and, and make him a head coach, probably in the SEC or maybe ACC, a, a program like that. Um, and, and he's going to do well because, again, he's kind of like Ramonis. He's got that, that even keel to him. Um, he's, he, he, I think he does a really good job bringing out the best in his players, and he's a good motivator and connects well with players. Um, same qualities that made him good when he was working on the agent side, you know, Scott Boris. Um, and he's a really good talent evaluator. So I think he's the whole package as a, as a coach. When we look around the SEC this year, obviously, you know, Vanderbilt coming off of a national championship, they're still a, an elite team. Obviously, Arkansas is going to be there as well. Who are a couple of teams in the conference that maybe you, you consider to be a little underrated coming into this season? It's so hard to, to try to predict what's going to happen in this league because, you know, underrated, I mean, there's, I like all the teams in this league. You know, I could envision a world where Alabama and Kentucky. Um, sneak up and, and, you know, cause a lot of trouble for people. Those are teams that are definitely improved. Just a matter of, you know, somebody to go up, somebody else has to go down, you know? So who's, who's going to be leapfrogged? And I have no idea. Uh, but I'll tell you, again, just starting with those two teams, I mean, Alabama has worked hard to, to upgrade their talent. I mean, um, that sophomore class is very interesting. The freshman class is very interesting. A lot more power arms on the mound, you know, a bunch of those sophomore righties you'll see 90 to 24 and, 
Um, a couple of freshman lefties. I think Connor Prelip's going to be a star there. He might be their Friday guy right from the get-go. And um, they're pretty athletic, and they got some pop in, in the lineup. So, you know, I think they're intriguing. And I and I picked them to finish last place in the league. You know, because there's nowhere to go. Somebody's got to finish last. Uh, but uh, but they're good enough to to be better than that. And the same goes for Kentucky, a team that was what seven and twenty-three in the league last year. Um, they look very offensive to me. You know, I saw them in the fall, and I walked away thinking, these guys are physical. You know, there's real power up and down that lineup. There's speed. Um, I think they should defend. It's just a matter of how good will they be on the mound. Um, and that's something that they have to prove. But there are some, some returning pieces that if they take steps forward, you know, Mason Hazelwood and a Jimmy Ramsey and a Ben Jordan, if those guys can live up to their talent, then Kentucky could be a regional team. Um, certainly South Carolina, I, I think, uh, is a team that, that was very much in contention for our preseason top 25, even as bad as they were last year. Uh, they brought in a really nice group of, of transfers, in particular in the recruiting class. Some big power arm Juco guys, uh, a couple of impact grad transfers that are going to provide some physicality and, and some veteran presence they really needed in that lineup uh, with Dallas Beaver and Bryant Bowen. So, you know, I think they're pretty balanced. And then you get Carmen Majinski back there atop the rotation, that, that's, that's a guy that could be a top 10 overall pick. You know, I saw him up to 98 this fall with a ridiculously good slider and, and, and an improving changeup, so he could be one of the better aces in the conference. Every team in the league is, is dangerous. Missouri's got real front-line starting pitching. You know, Ian, Ian Bedell and Connor Ash and Art, Art Holden from the left side is intriguing. I mean, um, their arms will make them a factor. You know, they're not eligible for regional this year, and and then there's Tennessee. You know, they were in a regional last year. You got Garrett Crochet, who's kind of like uh, their version of Vajinsky, a guy that, if he performs, could be in the mix to be number one overall pick. He's got that kind of talent. Um, the arms behind him are less proven, but very, very interesting. And they do have experience in the bullpen. Um, I want to see their lineup develop. You know, there's some question marks there. But every team in the league has something to really like. And you can envision any one of them jumping up into the top half. Well, it certainly doesn't get any easier in the SEC, but we're gonna we're gonna make you make the prediction before you get off with us here. Uh, are we gonna see each other in June in Omaha? I think so, uh, and I know we rank Mississippi State number ten, which is outside of the top eight that we have to be to get to Omaha. But I really like this team, you know, and, and I walked away in the fall thinking to myself, this feels like an Omaha team again. Um, we just need to see it on the mound. And, you know, I, I think we will. I, I really believe in the talent and the depth on the mound and the variety. They've got guys from the right and the left side. I think they can match up and piece it together. I think Scott Foxhall is one of the more underrated pitching coaches in college baseball. You know, I, I think he's got a knack for getting the most out of his guys. And, you know, just thinking back a couple years ago at NC State, um, whenever he had a less proven staff, he did a really good job of, of mixing and matching and, and putting guys in position to succeed. And I think he'll do that again. But yes. Mississippi State's going to host, and I think they're going to be in Omaha. I'm not, I'm not quite ready to say put her on the board with the Omaha thing, but I feel pretty good about it. We'll see what happens. All right, Aaron, we look forward to talking to you again throughout the season here on the podcast and, of course, on Sports Talk Mississippi. Looking forward to opening day, man. Great, great to have you with us. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. Good stuff there from Aaron, as always. We appreciate uh, him taking some time to join us on the College Corner Hotline. And, of course, Joel, it had to be music to the ears of MSU fans to hear him say, that he expects the Bulldogs back in Omaha. But that is, he's not alone in that assessment. I am in that assessment as well. I think this team is is built to make another run. To, this team was built to make another run to Omaha in, when they were freshmen. 
You know, that that team, no. I didn't think they were going to make a run no more. They did. But I thought, hey, when these guys are all sophomores and juniors, this is going to be a, a team that you see in the top of college baseball. They're just designed to be that way. And here's the thing for me is, Allen and Foscue, I think, are playing, they played as sophomores about as good as they may be capable of playing. They might have a little bit more to give. But I think Westberg and Jordan still have a lot of room to grow. And everything we've heard about Westberg this offseason makes it sound like he isn't going to be a guy who who contends for a batting title this year, that he he has really found a way to lock in and become an elite hitter. Yeah. The, the kind of hitter he was the first half of the season last yeah. year. With, with power and, and, and just, he is a guy that could be a very high draft pick. I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> and and you and I were in the press box together. What was it, two or three years ago? When whenever he was a freshman, and and athletic director John Cohen stood behind us and was just raving about what Westberg would become, and here he is, uh, becoming everything that, that that Cohen at the time thought he he would be. And um, that lineup, man, and, and I know Aaron hit on it. It is potent to say the least. You and, could have from your shortstop and your uh second baseman 25 to 30 home runs. Yeah, and 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 when you think about that, when you think about the production that you should be getting from that, look, I've been beating the drum for a, a several weeks now that that my hold up on this team is that I'm not confident in what they're going to get out of the bullpen. Right. And, and and I'm just and I'm still not, but if those guys play to their potential, you're going to have a lot more margin for error with that bullpen. <laughs> if, if you have guys uh, splitting gaps and hitting the ball over the wall and, and putting up a bunch of runs every night, it, it gives your guys some some margin for error. And in the early going, you know, maybe gives you some big leads to run some guys out there and see what you got. But um, I'm I'm with y'all. I mean, I I could easily see this team returning to Omaha. I would like for me to feel confident about that, though. Mm-hmm. I need to see. With my own two eyeballs, two or three of these relievers click. Do you do you agree with this statement that if I told you that you know not never mind Mangum, never mind McNamee, never mind Small, if I said I could give you Cole Gordon back this year, you you would immediately say that that's a Omaha team. Yeah, yeah, because just my, to have one guy back there that you could trust. Because for whatever reason, every I guess everybody's kind of talked me into it a little bit, but I think that Christian McLeod on Saturday's fine. JT again on Friday, you know, is going to be fine. Yeah. Um, Everybody on Sunday is kind of a wild card in the SEC, and State's yeah. got some pretty good wild card options with yeah. Sarantola and and fill in the blank. Um, so yeah, I mean my my lone major concern is that pin. So yeah, if you gave me a lockdown arm in that pin, um, yeah, I, I think that would alleviate it, pretty much every bit of the the major concern that I have for this team, and because to me that is. The concern is the bullpen, but guess what? That was the concern last year. Was the bullpen, and and you had uh, Colby White and Jared Liebelt, and one of the greatest comeback stories in Mississippi State history went from being the human white flag to being one of the best relievers in the school <laughs> in the school's history a little bit there. So uh, he he had a very Gerardo like story. Um, so. <sighs> Yeah, if there's another if there's another Jared Lee belt down there, or if there's another Colby White that's gonna but just step up, I, I don't know. Yeah, that changes everything for me. Doesn't that give you a little hope though? Because we, going into last year, we didn't know that Lee belt was gonna do those exactly. kind of things, and we didn't know that Colby White was going to be what he became. 
So, you know, Scott Foxhall has done a, a good job, and Chris Lamonis does a good job of bringing in pieces that can find their way in that bullpen. And the other thing that they have working for them is they should have a lot of runs to work with. Yeah. This is just should not be a team that loses a lot of 2-1, 3-2 kind of games. Now, they will because it's baseball. Yeah. But this should be game teams when they lose, it should be because they lost like 10-8. to eight. Yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, sort of sort of six and one, half dozen the other there, it could be a problem either way, but... Yeah, I really like this team. And I, I agree with what he said about Lamonis. In, in my, my tenure with Lamonis and talking to him, he is the mo- one of the most even-keeled, not just coaches, but people I've ever met. I don't know that. The only time we ever saw him get upset last year was at the SEC tournament, right? Didn't he get into it with uh, during one of the games? And that was when the uh, they called. Uh, the umpire the umpire wouldn't apologize to him. Yeah. I don't know if that was at the SEC tournament or if that was at home, but he got, he got hot about something. But for the most part, even after defeats, he was just very much – very businesslike, and I thought that worked well with that team because he had so much fiery leadership. Maybe they just needed that calming influence. Maybe this year, when your leaders are, you know, Tanner Allen's a pretty even killed guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foscue, I don't know that I've ever seen him in any emotion other than the one I've seen him in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I told you about this. I was at, I was out the other night for dinner and I saw him and Rowdy Jordan, and uh, it took me a few minutes there to recognize Foscue because he didn't have a hat on. And I have never, ever seen him without a hat on. Ever. And I was like, that's what his hair looks like. I had no idea. And it just, I was like, that guy is so familiar looking. I sta- I, if he had seen me, he would have been like, what's this stalker doing? I stared at him for like two minutes. Like, who is that guy? And then his friend turned around and it was Rowdy Jordan. I was like, okay. Now it's all clicking for me. But I thought it was just hilarious. But, but Foskey's that way. Westberg is like the guy I think of as like, the fiery guy in this in this group. Rowdy is very chill as well. So maybe you might see a different kind of Lamonis this year because I think he's the kind of coach who can figure out what his team needs. So I, I like Chris Lamonis. I think I agree with what Aaron said. I think he is the, the guy who can – I'm not saying he's going to win a national title because, you know, Ron Polk couldn't do it, Pat McMahon couldn't do it, John Cohen couldn't do it. But he's he's got the right temperament and he's recruiting at a, the kind of clip that makes you think he's going to get there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about some of those guys – the thing that I really, really, really like about this team is they do. There's so many alphas on this team. Yeah. So I mean, Justin Foscue, he's an alpha. Jordan Westberg, that dude's an alpha. Yeah. Uh, Tanner Allen, he's kind of a he, he's a, like you said, he's kind of a more chill version, but he he's a very confident uh, alpha. Rowdy Jordan too. Yeah. JT Ginn, alpha. all kinds of alpha male in him. I mean, he, th- these are a bunch of guys that take pride. And being freaking awesome, yeah. <laughs> and, and and whenever you have that, not only is it good for the for those guys and for that team, but that rubs off on some of the younger guys too. Um, and, and they kind of see how those guys handle their business. <laughs> this team is exciting, and, and they're they're in any other way to to say it. There's no way to to downplay it. That's not being a homer. That's not being a sunshine pumper. That's just looking at the facts. There there is no way you can't look at this roster and not be excited for what you see. And and like I, I keep saying, and, and look, I may only have this concern for a week or two, but I just, I'm just i going to need to see one or two bullpen arms before I say, yeah, that's definitely an Omaha team. Um, I'm close now, but there, that lingering doubt in the back of my head. But here's the thing. Just about everybody, even teams in the top ten, have that one something that, okay, this is what we need to keep an eye on kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, – and you know, I agree that and, that's the thing. And, and for state, it is the bullpen. Yeah. And for other teams, it may be you know lineup or it may be weekend rotation or, or whatever. But 
if that hole gets plugged, it's going to be awfully tough for this team to not make a deep run. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. We'll have some more baseball talk this weekend because our media day uh, with the baseball team. So we'll talk to Coach Lamonis and all the players will be available to us. Uh, so we'll definitely get you some. Uh, I'll, I'll have some video, obviously. Uh, Joel will have what he has. He'll have plenty of stuff over at Starkville Daily News. So if you're, if, you're, if you're as ready for baseball season as I know Joel is, and as I am too, I'm looking forward to those first weekends at Duke Noble. Uh, this will be a good weekend to sort of scratch that itch for you before games actually uh, start getting. But there's a scrimmage this weekend in Starkville as well. I think the public is welcome to that. So is that correct? I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah, we we have our media day, like you said, on Saturday. They haven't, and they haven't it, sent us the details. They anymore. haven't, and I, I do think that the. I don't guarantee it. I don't yeah. want to guarantee why, that. Why don't we? I why don't we wait and we'll we'll make a description <laughs> on that later. So, all right, guys, we will be back with you on uh, Friday. Until then, talk to you uh, later. For Joel T. Coleman, Woo. I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Media Production.